Forgotten Flicks remembers Brainstorm 1983. Suppose it were possible to transfer from one mind to another the experience of another person. Hey, there it is. Any person, any experience. I'm telling you, it works. Test, sound, taste. Everything, Smell. everything, 100%. In fact, better. Did you have a breakthrough or not? Yes. I'd like a demonstration. Knock my socks off. What about um, military applications? Wide open. Missile guidance, that kind of thing? They're going to be able to plug right into the old noodle. I made that for you. What is it? It's me. You've blown communication as we've known it, right out of the water. You know that, don't you? I'm scared. But the thing is, I like it. I want more. No, I can't authorize this. It's a chance to take a scientific look at the scariest thing a person ever has to face. This is not the research we're interested in. This is my project. I don't want to see it end up on some defense scrap heap before we know what it's really about. Hello and welcome to Forgotten Flicks, where we remember the movies you grew up with. I'm your host, Joel, and in this episode, I'm joined by Gamadev, and we're remembering Brainstorm from 1983. He is a super smart guy. Of course, you know, anybody who listens to the Forgotten Flicks podcast is obviously smart, right? And he is a really knowledgeable guy on the world of special effects. So this is a wonderful movie. To have him join us on, he gets into the work of Douglas Trumbull, who directed this movie, and we get into the the ins and outs. And in fact, there's actually a pretty decent chunk where he and I really went on the rabbit trail regarding special effects in general. And I'm actually thinking about cutting that out and making it a separate bonus episode to go out either later this week or next week. So you get two weeks in a row of Forgotten Flicks. Yay! And in this episode, we get the first official segment of Dave Umbrick's The Quest, where he will be talking about Blade Runner and the connection it has to Brainstorm, which those of you that are true sci-fi bust, I'm sure you could figure it out relatively quickly, but just in case, he'll go into that. And in the next episode of Forgotten Flicks, when we go into License to Drive, he'll be talking about Moonstruck. And one additional segment, we're going to have a retro movie review in this episode as well from Jay of the Dead. I love his horror movie podcast and movie podcast weekly. Fantastic guy. He's a big fan of Brainstorm and he wanted to contribute something for this episode. So he gives us a really great review slash analysis for Brainstorm. So you got all that to look forward to and more. Like I said, we go into tons of great stuff about this movie. We go into the cast, which includes Christopher Walken and Louise Fletcher and Natalie Wood. We go into lots of stuff, including stories of Gamma Dev's childhood and his connection to this movie because interesting side note i had never seen this movie going into it but we'll get at all that in the conversation so if you're new to the forgotten flicks podcast there be spoilers ahoy 
And there may be an alert. We may eventually bring back the spoiler alert guy for those of you that remember him from the previous incarnation of this podcast. But at the moment, I'm just giving you that heads up. So if you've never seen Brainstorm, pause it now and go ahead and watch it before we... This is about discussing our memories of the movie and analyzing it, and we don't worry about spoiling it. That's what this is all about. It's The assumption is this is a movie you love, a movie you're familiar with, one that you would want to talk about. And in fact, if you would like to contribute your voice about Brainstorm or any of the movies that we're going to be covering, uh, next up will be License to Drive which is sort of this bonus mega episode that's going to feature four separate guest hosts, as well as myself, though mainly them. And if you want to contribute to that, if you want to leave feedback about anything, if you want to tell me about movies that you would love to hear covered on the show, anything at all, stay tuned to the end of the episode. I'll have all the contact information there for you. And until then, remember, at Forgotten Flicks, we're keeping the memories of the movies you love alive. So we're, we're, of course, going to be discussing 1983's Brainstorm, and I'll just let the cat out of the bag right now. I have never seen this movie. Oh, wow. Okay. Never? Not yet? Well, actually, I shouldn't say I'm not shocked. Okay. Okay. <laughs> wow. Wow. So early with the hate. No, I'm just kidding. No. Uh, <laughs> I'm I'm not shocked that a, 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 a neophyte film lover such as yourself and... <laughs> <laughs> no, it, this is this probably qualifies as a very forgotten flick. So. Yes, and actually, that is precisely why I, for those that don't know, opened up a Google Doc to the Forgotten Flicks community on Facebook. Which, if you haven't bothered joining, please do, because then you'll have the opportunity to add your favorite Forgotten Flicks to the list at some point in the future. But this was one that uh, Gamma Dev put down. And he, he put down several other ones. I think actually a couple the other ones even made the short list. And it intrigued me because I think you had mentioned to it to me in an email way prior because I remembered it from there. I've heard of it. And then as I looked at elements of it before I watched the movie, it seemed familiar, but I know I've never seen it. So that's why I was like, okay, you know what? Yeah, I need to have more on here that even I've never seen. And I like the idea that for this particular era of forgotten flicks, the vast majority of the movies are, in fact, truly forgotten flicks. And this would qualify, as you said. So that being said, since you are the one who brought this one to the table, I will let you, if you have a, any kind of short synopsis or way you want to just in the best way you can let the folks know what this movie is all about. OK, so um, the movie opens up. We we see a pair of scientists that have kind of perfected this way to record um, all the sensory input into the brain and then play it back to another person. It's kind of like the ultimate VR experience. So this is how the movie opens up. They're not. It's not the quest to do this. This is like it's. This is just as it's happened. So then after this breakthrough, the company they work for uh, decides they want to commercialize the technology. And, and we find out a little later that the military also wants first crack at this for you know, less than noble reasons, because it's the 80s. Um, so the one scientist, uh, Michael, is played by Christopher Walken. He's, he's currently divorced from his wife, and that's uh, the Natalie Wood character. But he's still living in their house, so it's kind of awkward. Um, his wife is then brought onto the project because she also works at this company. And she's brought on to like, make the tech commercial you know, consumer friendly, essentially, you know, she's the, right she, now, wait, don't interrupt you. Would you say she's the Steve Jobs to his Wozniak? Something like that. Okay. Yes. 
that's a pretty yeah that's pretty good that's pretty accurate kind <laughs> okay. of thing okay so so the meanwhile the other main scientist uh, Lillian that's the Louise Fletcher character she's worried you know they're they're moving way too fast they just had the breakthrough and she wants to see like what the limits of the technology are can they go beyond just uh, the normal five senses can they record emotions uh, feelings memories things like that so uh, while they're testing the the machine's ability to do that michael has a fight with his wife because they record what his wife is feeling and then they play it back and he gets basically to see his wife kind of thinks he's a bit of a jerk uh so he gets really angry at her and kind of storms out and then um michael then later that evening as he's playing back and reviewing he's like yeah she's kind of got a point uh he gets this idea that he's going to make a recording of how he really feels about his ex-wife and this is like, I feel like the standout scene in the movie. Um, he uses a device and he shows his wife that he really does still love her by playing back sort of his memories and feelings for her. So the technology has kind of saved their marriage, and um, which is fitting because it's probably the project that destroyed it in the first place. Because um, he was, you know, away at the lab working all the time, ignoring her. So on the flip side, one of the assistants on the team gets the idea to make a porno with the technology because every new technology, like the first use of it is always, you know, pornography. You know, I, actually, I actually, not, not to completely digress here, but I actually wrote in my notes, sure, with this new tech, there's only two primary things we're going to focus on, porn and war. Yep. <laughs> so um, that unfortunately leads to like this medical incident, incident because like the team's project manager decides to play a particular section of the recording in an endless loop for like eight hours. So uh, the division head, that's the Cliff Robertson character, he realizes this is really easily addictable technology <laughs> and tries to hush it up. Um, and then sort of around the same time, the uh, Lil Lillian, she suffers a heart attack while she's working alone in the lab. And she realizes she's not going to survive. So she has the presence of mind to record her death experience on the device. So, so with Lillian dead, the military kind of uses this as the opportunity to take over the project. And Walken, meanwhile, uh, Christopher Walken, uh, he's, he tries to play back the death recording, and it nearly kills him. And it actually does end up killing the guy who made the porno because the military had him eavesdropping on the playback because they wanted to see how it would affect him because this is the kind of sick experiments they're kind of doing. Um, so Chris Walken discovers all the bad stuff the military has been doing. They've been making recordings that induce, you know, psychotic hallucinations, that sort of thing. And his son ends up getting injured by one of the recordings. So they use the, the, the company and the military use this whole thing to force him out of the company. And so then Chris Walken begins this quest to stop the military from taking over the technology and then also to play. Uh, Lillian's tape all the way to the end to see basically, you know, what happens when you die? What's what's the ultimate question to life? Yeah, the answer to the ultimate question. So, I really wish I had I had had you synopsize this for me. Uh oh. <laughs> oh, it, it doesn't mean I hated it or anything. I'm just saying that because your take on it was as and having seen it, everything you said makes absolute sense and it fits and it's it's. Perfect. But if you go into this movie not knowing all of what you just said. Right. I feel as if some elements of those were greatly inferred. <laughs> and I, I agree with the conclusions drawn to explain 
some of them, but there was just a lot of the, it, it just, and we'll get into this. We'll get into this, I'm sure. Sure. But this is a movie I feel of really interesting ideas. The story aspect, me. You know, again, we'll get. I, I really liked your synopsis. I, let's just put it that way. I'm sure. Okay. I'm, I'm sure that people will have already heard in the intro. I will have said this is spoilers ahoy. But I would almost make the argument for anyone who's not seen this movie to listen to your synopsis first, then go watch the movie because they'd be like, oh, okay, yeah, this makes total sense. All right, <laughs> that's 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 high praise. I think. Yes, it was. It was intended to be. It was intended to be. <laughs> so I, I guess we can just real quick hit on some of the particulars you mentioned. The cast, obviously, Christopher Walken, Louise Fletcher, also known as the uh, sort of Andrew Dice Clay stand-in with her smoking, dear Lord. She was like a freaking chimney. Uh, <laughs> I can't understand why she suffered from a heart attack between the smoking and the rage issues. And, oh, poor Nurse <laughs> Ratched. And then, of course, Natalie Wood, which I don't know how deep we'll delve into that, but this was her last picture. And, in fact, she didn't get to finish this movie because she died we can get into the whole conspiracy thing if one so chooses. <laughs> uh, well, let's, let's let's just talk about how it affected the movie, not yeah, not the no, circumstances no, of her death. I, I because... pretty much want to turn this to, into the TMZ podcast, Gamma. No. Let's just go. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. So, I mean, those that don't know, Natalie Wood, the actress, very famous actress, uh, she died and she drowned, and it was one of those situations where there's all sorts of quote unquote mystery surrounding it. Whatever, alleged, alleged. And it's involved. still an ongoing investigation. The uh-huh. thing that I found the most interesting, and I only found out this recently, I think it was when I looked this movie up, was that Christopher Walken was, in fact, there the night. <laughs> she did. And I was like... Yeah. And, and, and I love him as an actor, but it's almost as if, if he's involved... If he's not... No, let me, I may have to edit that part out. Uh, <laughs> if, if he is... <laughs> if he's present at a location where some tragedy like that happens, he has this quality... One might in it might speculate it being a creepy quality. <laughs> they just it makes the whole proceedings just a little I don't know creepier. Yeah. But that being said, well, this was very early in his career before he kind of become you know the Christopher yeah. Walken we we know and love today. The, yeah, the I, I need more cowbell that guy. Yeah, yes. And <laughs> so a great cast. I mean, the cast was fantastic. I think the thing that surprised me again, having not seen the movie or really been aware of it. I didn't realize that it was directed by Douglas Trumbull. Yes. Which like, as soon as I heard the name, I was like, I don't know why I had it in my head that he was a DP. I, I as soon as I realized who he was, I, like, okay, yeah, no. Yeah. But he's the effects master behind 2001, a space odyssey, blade runner, uh, close encounters. Right. Right. And I'm literally just trying to pull these out of hat here in my head. Um, I know there's a Star, couple of, Star Trek, the motion oh, okay. picture, Star Trek, the motion picture and his own film, silent running. Yes. With um, Bruce Dern, right? Yes. Okay, so fantastic. I mean, I think the thing that's so amazing about him as a special effects master, because there's no other word I think to describe him, is that he's he predates all CGI stuff. So, But so much of his visual effects were exactly the kind of effects that I you could make the argument CGI was created for, because they were just so, but yet they're still, they still, a lot of them hold up so well. I mean, I don't know the last oh, yeah. time you watch Blade Runner or Close Encounters. It's been a while, but it's been within recent memory enough to know that those movies, the effects in them, it's sort of like John Carpenter's The Thing, they still hold up extremely well. 
Yeah, even the computer graphics displays that are in this mm-hmm. are not computer graphics, Which, with the exception of like the Commodore sixty four level tech that they have, sure. like on those on those luggable, yes, <laughs> not portable, luggable, like, luggable computers that they have in there. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, and that was amazing. As I didn't even think about that until after watching the movie, and I was reading a couple reviews that Roger Ebert and some other people had done about it, and comment was made about the fact that. You know, the effect not being it's pre CGI and I don't know why it didn't hit me. I was like, wow, I mean, that, that's pretty amazing. I mean, there's there's some really beautiful imagery that was created in this movie, which I mean, it stands to reason. Now, as I understand it and correct me if I'm wrong, but this movie, since Miss Wood died prior to principal photography being finished, right? It was shot in 81 because that's when she died. And. The way I understand it is the producers held it up in arbitration or whatever the legal channels because they wanted to collect the insurance money. At least that's how it was stated in one of the articles I read based on her passing and Douglas Trumbull wanted to complete the movie. Right. And he had the last say on that matter. Uh, not, not exactly. Okay. So I'd, I'd wondered about this for years because I'd heard all the speculation and read what's on Wikipedia. We know that's always correct. Um, uh, yeah, but, but in, uh, but surprisingly a friend of mine just, I will have to talk a little bit about this later about how he came to point me out to something on this just a few weeks ago that I'd never found out before. Uh, Douglas Trumbull for like the first time in 30 years decided to talk about this movie because he's got a new project coming out. Oh, really? And he, it always been a mystery, like, well, what was left on film? Because people had speculated, they said, oh, they had to use a double in some places. Mm -hmm. And he put the record straight. He said she had three shots left to film. (laughs) And he, he, he listed them. And it's when they're going to, um, Hal's house after he's had that little incident with the porno. Yeah. Um, when, uh, Christopher Walken goes down to the basement to, unhook him Uh um she was supposed to be in that scene okay she had no dialogue or anything because if you see the scene it's it's you know hardly anybody i don't think think christopher walken says anything in that scene no um but that was basically it like they're on their way to the you know there's a shot in the car of them driving there there's a shot of them going down to the basement Mm -hmm. and that's that's it he's Mm -hmm. he didn't have to change a single line of dialogue Mm -hmm. and that's what Drugless Trumbull is that this this is what this was the last movie he directed. Mm-hmm. He was so disgusted by everything. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about it in September of last year. I thought there was more to it than that. He was actually fearful of his life. Really? He was told by his agent to not get on any plane chartered by MGM. Because five minutes after they announced Natalie Wood's death, they fired the entire crew. Which Douglas Trumbull goes, Oh, that's not suspicious at all. And decided to um he wasn't implying that they killed her or anything, yeah. but he said, you know, it was obvious MGM was in deep financial trouble at the time. Mm-hmm. And they, they saw a golden opportunity to say, we're just going to cash the $15 million insurance policy <laughs> and scrap the movie because they'd only spent maybe like half that so far. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, they needed the money. And so they fired everybody. Didn't, they said they didn't even call Douglas Trumbull to say, can you finish the movie? Cause he mm-hmm. was said, he said he wouldn't have hesitated. He said, of course I can finish it. There's nothing, you know, yeah. her, there's nothing left to film. It was of all people, the insurance company that saved, uh, saved the day Really, because they yeah. uh, the, the breaking on forgotten flicks, some positive <laughs> spin on an insurance company. Continue. Yeah, Gamma exactly. <laughs> they, uh, they deposed him 
for the insurance claim, and, and Douglas Trumbull said they MGM was basically committing insurance fraud, Whoa. and said, and, and it was Lloyd's of London said, we will give you the money to finish the movie, <laughs> and in some ways it probably ended up better for him creatively because. MGM was basically out of saying how the movie got finished. Mm-hmm. It was and Lloyd's London doesn't know anything about making movies, yeah. so they're basically going to say, "Yep, finish the movie," and then it went up to like they were going. Lloyd's London, their plan was to sell it to another distributor, another studio to to put it out. Wow, which was apparently going to happen because other studios start bidding on the movie, and then MGM's like, "Wow, we're going to look like the biggest tools on the planet <laughs> if this turns out to be a major hit." Yeah. So what was did he go in depth into the whole fearing for his life thing? Was it, or is it just somebody being? Well, a it was like hyperbolic? he was going to cost the studio like at least eight million dollars yeah. uh, in profit if he did that, and he was already kind of on their crap list. Yeah, uh, I don't know if we're going to lose our uh, family tag, family friendly tag or not. It, it seems um, like it seems like it seems like now that my old partner's gone, I haven't had the opportunity to really drop the explicit tag on here yet. So okay, yeah. well. <laughs> Well, he'd hired Cliff Robertson, uh, who had been blackballed at the time because he was involved inadvertently in an accounting scandal with Columbia Pictures. They'd found that there were some accounting irregularities. Wow, there seems to be a theme in Hollywood. What? Uh, Next thing you're going to tell me is really successful movies like Forrest Gump or, I don't know, Coming to America, Never Got Out of the Red. <laughs> yeah, something, yeah, something like that. So, yeah, Cliff Robertson, I guess, had found like a paycheck for a movie he'd never worked on that he'd never he'd never cashed. And this was, and they found out this was a big, you know, scam that Columbia was charging work. So that he was, never was been so done. Wait, 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 hold on. So he was blackballed for yes. integrity. Well, he didn't. I mean, he didn't even know what he was doing. He was basically <laughs> saying, "Oh, what's with this check?" But you know? what I'm getting at, but it was okay. So inadvertent integrity. So it, yeah. it seems to me that both he and Trumbull were just like we're just being honest and doing the right thing. We're yeah, just saying, sad, isn't it? <laughs> wow. Continue. So, so yeah, so. Uh, Cliff Robertson to this day, well, or well, not to this day because he's passed away. Mm-hmm. Uh, always said that you know, if it weren't for Douglas Trumbull, he wouldn't have a career hmm. after the mid seventies because nobody would hire him until Douglas Trumbull did. So wow, to think, just to think, he wouldn't have been Uncle Ben. Yep, <laughs> great power comes great responsibility. That's right, indeed it does. <laughs> or he wouldn't have played uh, Hugh Hefner either. So oh, good point. Very good yeah. point. Okay, so moving right along, we oh, I'm I'm watching it and that kid, their kid comes in. I'm like, okay, he looks familiar. And my knee jerk reaction was, is that Anthony Michael Hall? And I was like, nope, <laughs> you're close. It's Mr. Jason Lively who played Rusty Number Two in European Vacation, and Night of the Night of the Creeps, one of my personal favorites. He was the the kid in that. Yeah, I didn't recognize him until very recently, and really? I've seen this movie. I've seen this movie dozens of times. But this probably the last few weeks I've watched it again really closely because of a discussion I had with a good friend of mine. So yeah, yeah. As soon as I saw him, I was like, okay, that looks. He looks really familiar, and it was, and it was from a little ways away, and I was watching it on a relatively small screen. So I was like, okay, look. I was like, is that. I think in okay eighty three vacation came out in eighty three, but then when I re- realized, okay, no, this is actually shot in eighty one. So I was like, Anthony Michael would have been about this age. And then I, I a little bit closer, I'm like they did a close up or, or a closer shot on him. I think it was one of the scene, the scene at the, the early on with the pool, the indoor pool, and he comes out of it. And I was like, oh, that's that's rusty from European vacation, <laughs> <laughs> which I think I made a big mistake in the previous episode 
that I did with Daryl. We covered the Heavenly Kid, and that had Jason Gedrick in it. And for some reason, I don't know why, I made a comment that he and Jason Lively were like half brothers. I don't know why I had been there. Like, why would they both be named Jason? And the more I thought about it, like, I think he's actually is he, he's related to Robin Lively, right? Uh, what team wit teen witch? Yes, I, I know he's related to somebody that's also equally, you know, relatively speaking, well known. And I don't have IMDb in front of me, right, cheat? But I'm pretty sure he is. But then the more I thought about, it, I was like, why the heck would Jason Gedrick and Jason Lively be related? <laughs> I was like, they don't even. <laughs> I was like, I don't even know where that came from. I think we were talking about the whole thing about you know, could angels really get high, and then it just devolved from there. So, <laughs> so ultimately. The cast is fantastic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It is the brother of Robin Lively. Robin Lively. Okay. So I knew that he yep. was related to somebody else. Well, known. you know, top that. <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was actually lame. So <laughs> the cast, like I said, phenomenal. Behind the scenes, phenomenal. And thank you for enlightening me with the... I See, I love that. I love the inside baseball. This is how it actually went down. Because everything I was reading is that they made it sound like he'd shot maybe 90% but that there was enough stuff that he was having to use a, a double for, you know, behind, you know, shots and over the shoulder yeah. shots. And uh, oh, they, they he, had to reshoot he, the whole, that was like, they had to redo the ending because of it. Oh no. Uh, the one thing they did have to change was the scene with the sun. Uh, I don't know if you read that um, no. because the psychotic episode where Chris Walken the puts psychotic on the helmet. break. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Chris Walken puts it on. He sees himself kind of being tortured. Uh, when the son puts it on, he also sees himself being strapped in the machine by his father and tortured sure. by him. Sure. And if you think about it, it makes total sense what it originally was. He was drowning. Oh. Because he'd just come in from swimming, and they establish at least oh. once before that that you know he likes to swim in that that awesome house they have with the indoor pool. Yeah, that, that was a really great house, actually. <laughs> And uh, so they had established, you know, he's a swimmer. So it's like, well, what's his greatest fear come to life would be he was drowning. But so of they course, apparently... yeah, so not be uh... complete D bags about it. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So that that they had to change. Uh, yeah. But no, other that, than that, that was the only change they made to the movie. Which now that you say it, because when you see Christopher Walken, he's the one putting him in the chair or whatever that contraption is. He looked not different, different, but his head, it's something about the whole scene. And I, and I just took it as because of it being essentially this, your real fear come to life, that it would have a different look and feel to it. But even Christopher Walken, his hair looked a little bit more feathered. You know, his whole thing just looked a little bit different. And I don't know if it's cause, probably because they shot it significantly later, I would imagine. Um, but no, that's that's very interesting and makes perfect sense. But yeah, the music, the movie wasn't compromised artistically by, by her death. So no. Okay. Well, it's interesting to note. And James Horner, the famous composer did the music. Yeah. This, and this is probably like the first, what I consider the first real James Horner score yeah. as opposed to, uh, Roger Corman going, you know, we're kind of making this star Wars movie. Uh, could <laughs> yeah. you sound a lot like Mr. Williams? Yeah. yeah. Just make it sound as similar. Or we're as doing possible. a star Trek sequel. Could you sound like Jerry Goldsmith? Please. <laughs> Hey there, everybody. It's Dave, and welcome back to The Quest. All right, for those of you that are playing at home, remember, this is my attempt to go through all of Roger Ebert's great movies that he has posted on his website. So I promised Joel that I would try and make a connection to the movie. He would be talking, he and his guests would be talking about uh, on any given podcast and connect my 
the movie I will talk about very briefly with some sort of connection. So today he's discussing Brainstorm, directed by Douglas Turnbull. Well, I'm going to talk about Blade Runner, which is uh, – what's the connection? Douglas Turnbull was the visual effects director of Blade Runner. So Blade Runner is a movie that I had seen before. So I probably should have or could have just ticked that off the list. But being the completest that I'm trying to be, Roger Ebert had has the final edition or final cut as the uh, the version that he is he put as his great list. And it's interesting because if you read his reviews, you know, he was kind of iffy on the movie when it first came out, saying that it was a beautiful movie, but the story was kind of shallow or there really was no heart to it. And, you know, he kind of still feels that way, but he also says that it's time for him to admit that it's a great movie and put it into canon, which, frankly, it is. But Still, I would agree with his initial assessment that it really is just a an amazing world that has been built, an iconic world that has been built by Ridley Scott in making this movie. I mean, everybody knows – anybody who loves movies knows and can picture the world of Blade Runner, the darkness, the flying cars, the, the neon lights and the neon signs, the rain. It, it, you know, it, it probably doesn't even rain as much in the movie as you think it rains in the movie just because of – of that, and that's the interesting thing. You know, that it's all about memory. This movie is about memory, and which is you know perfect for this podcast and this, and the website and everything that Joel's ever done here, because everything we're doing here is talking about memory, our memories of movies and memories of things, things. And even this movie, my memory was completely off on this. I remembered, you know, my first memory of this movie was probably in the early, well, in 82 when it came out, you know, I probably saw, I did see it first on, on Siskel and Ebert because that's how I saw all or, or had awareness of all R-rated movies in the early 80s. And uh, I probably saw, I saw it a few years later and I, I knew it just, I felt bad that it just didn't hit me. I didn't love the movie. And it is a cold movie. And I know, you know, Harrison Ford is not a big fan of this movie. And it's kind of keeps you at arm's length. But the kind of cool thing about it is, you know, it does bring up a lot of, of, of thoughts about what is human and what is not human. And, you know, and, you know, the whole idea of, of memory being implanted in you is quite fascinating because, you know, it happens to us all every time. I was talking to a friend of mine last night about some memories that I had from uh, growing up from Christmas. And I was talking about two different memories of mine. And one was something that my parents tell the story of all the time. So the story has been retold. And I'm not sure if, if the memory I have is the real memory or it's just the story. And I have another memory from around the same age. You know, this is probably like four years old or so. Not that I have a lot of memories from being that, that age, but this other memory, no one talks about this story. And I have that memory of it. And of course, the reason why no one talks about this story is because it's the time that my mother took me to New York City. I bought a Captain America shield and then proceeded to puke on it. But that could take another whole podcast. So the, the one last thing I want to talk about in this memory is the final cut. You know, why is it the final cut? Because there was a director's cut before that. And there was the original cut. So and this again, this is another bigger topic for discussion. I, and I think we should have a some sort of panel discussion on this because I'm fascinated by this one. I invite you to think about this is films are never complete. No, no work of art is finally complete. You just stop working on it. I think someone famous said that. I can't remember who, so I apologize, famous person who said that. But really, it's true. No book is finished. Is you just stop working on it. 
and you could tinker with something forever. And it, and it seems like with films that people people do tinker with it more often. You do have extra cuts with that. Music too. But you don't, you don't see that with novels. You don't see people going back and having a new remix version of Cashier in the Rye. But and I wonder why that is, and and some of it, you know, it's interesting with with this movie because the final cut fundamentally changes the difference. Now, you know, the whole big thing is, okay, all right, is and spoiler alert here, but it, come on, if you if you haven't seen this movie, you you know of it. Is Harrison Ford a human or the android replicant at the end? And I think the original version was ambiguous on that, and I think if they're if Ridley Scott's initial uh, intention was to have him be a replicant, then great. But here's the interesting thing I find about art is if the original work that he put out, the original version of, of Blade Runner that he put out did not completely solidify that in everybody's minds and keep and makes it ambiguous, that's great. That's wonderful. That's un- And it's an unintended consequence. Does he need to go back and change it? I say no. It's a fascinating. It's a fascinating question, though, because if he didn't get his message across, maybe he wants to go back and, and do it. But I say no. I say leave it ambiguous and 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 what have you. Now, the last thing I'm going to say, because going turning back to Douglas Turnbull for just for one second, is these special effects in this are amazing. So I'm a total. I'm not going to say I'm an anti CGI guy, but let's just say this: I have a hard time with things like the 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 new trilogy or the whatever the prequels of Star Wars because I felt like I had a very hard time focusing on anything, and even even Lord of the Rings, I have a hard time focusing on. There's so much going on, and it's great because you have because you can work with computers, you can do a lot of stuff. And does that mean that you need to to pack every frame with every small little tiny detail? I don't think so because I think it's very hard to keep focus. This was is practical effects, and it's there's no CGI in in Blade Runner. It looks modern. It doesn't look like dated at all, and it's it's and it's just amazing artwork. And I think part of it is that it's not overly detailed. So those are a few thoughts on Blade Runner and. Until next time, uh, I was about to say, you know, save the aisle seat for me or something like that, but I can't, even though I'm doing Roger Ebert stuff, I can't steal his catchphrase. I got to come up with a catchphrase here. And actually, I really don't need to, but maybe I will. All right, until next time. So this this film was supposed to be a, a showcase for a process that Douglas Trumbull came up with called ShowScan, mm-hmm. uh, which was meant to be a 70 millimeter, 60 frames per second uh, process. And that was the original plan for the movie. Um, but the, it was kind of the chicken and the egg problem. It's mm-hmm. like you couldn't get the theaters to put in the projectors because there was no content and there were, no studio was going to make it because there weren't 2,000 screens to show it. Got it. So... Um, they they scaled it back so that the brainstorm sequences are filmed in seventy millimeter mm-hmm. and then the re- and wide scope and you know ultra wide scope and the rest of the movie is just kind of regular thirty five millimeter and you know the standard aspect ratio. Wait, was it was it was it like the flat one eight five to one? 
Uh, yes. So then, so then for the brainstorm, it's like two, three, five. Okay. Because when it first is playing, and they have that opening sequence, right? Right. And I believe that was that was the when you're in the seventy millimeter mode. So right. I think okay. And then when you take the helmet off, suddenly, the only way I could equate it is say you get an older DVD and you watch it on an HDTV and it ends up to where you've got the black box all the way around the movie. Right. And I'm like, I knew it wasn't anything wrong with my guys. I got it off Amazon as a rental. I'm like, okay, obviously this movie was shot at a very, very <laughs> small aspect ratio. But then I, I got in and then I thought Douglas Trumbull, I'm like, really? Okay, this is weird. But then a okay, brain scan. Th- I, I figured it out after I think the second time we did not brain scan, but the, uh, I don't know, what did they call the tech? Did they have a name for it? They didn't actually have a name for it. The military called it code brainstorm or something. Yes. Yes. Okay. The brainstorm tech. Whenever it kicks in, like you said, it almost had a couple shots had almost a fisheye quality to the to the the image because of how wide it was. Right. And I figured out what they were doing, but I'm just imagining anybody else has zero knowledge of aspect ratios at all. Is going what? What the? <laughs> One of the things yeah. I read, the guy said he actually spent twenty minutes trying to adjust his AV inputs, and I was trying. He thought there was something wrong. <laughs> right. Yeah. The, this uh, in the theaters, this would work pretty well. It would be, it would be that the just the sides would change mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because uh, and 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 the home theater they. They've always messed this up when they've transferred it to video. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think they finally got it right for Blu-ray, mainly okay. because I don't think this was an MGM release. The final Blu-ray, I think, is a Warner Brothers release, where it works well if you have one of those really high-end, constant uh, constant height projectors, mm-hmm. so that it's, it is like the movie theater, where it's like if you have a wider format uh, film, you just see more on the sides, and you just open the curtains a little wider. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's designed for that. So unfortunately, it means if you're watching it on a regular set, uh, it gets black around all sides during the non-brainstorm sequences. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it is literally like a little window in in on your screen, it, right. it, and it, it, it's. I will say, I personally didn't find it that distracting. Yeah, if you see it on a large enough screen, it actually in a, in a dark room, it's it's perfectly fine. As a story and as a movie, because I do want to get to the element of you. Did you see this when it first came out? Um, I did not see this in the theaters. I saw this on HBO like okay. about a year, a year later, probably. Okay. So early, so early mid eighties. Yes. And I don't know what your actual age is, but I'm, I'm assuming were you a youngish man, not a kid. Uh, yes. I was a kid at that point. I was, you know, like seven, eight years old. So, uh, so I would have been entering my teens. Okay. But okay. That's probably a sweet spot for this movie, particularly for the, um, let's just say, filmed love sequence so which i love that what p and that's the other thing we could even get the whole thing about pgs then versus pg now pg now is a g from then right i think pg 13 now is what pg used to be oh yeah except for violence because for some reason when it comes to violence as long as you don't show actual blood you can like have complete and utter carnage that you couldn't back then but back then in a pg you could drop an f-bomb you could show a little booby but you can't do that now in a pg we could show a lot of booby and, and remember airplane where it's, oh, it's like, a shot of the yeah. woman just the ones that always come to mind right oh, yeah. the camera. Right the ca- <laughs> but see, I think the reason why with that you got away with it because it was for a laugh. It's yeah. when it's sexualized booby. But yet I remember irreconcilable differences. I believe it was actually Sharon Stone in one of her first movies. Shocker, I know. 
showed the boobies and Sweet Liberty with Alan Alda for some reason. I always remembered renting that and being like, oh, those are my. forgotten flicks. Yeah, there's a, there's a, yeah, really. Uh, to, to, they got added to the list. So it was definitely, and I remember the movie Tank with James Garner and C. Thomas Howell. You remember that one? Yes. And they dropped the F bomb. And I think it came out 84 and it was PG. And I remember thinking it was 83, 84, somewhere in that time frame. And I remember I, my dad rented it and I was like, Ooh, right. they said a naughty word. But yeah, now if you do that, you get a PG 13. Yes. You're, and you're allowed at exactly one. Yeah. Well, unless you're Titanic a- and you've got two major studios involved and $200 million on the line, then you can show full frontal nudity, frozen babies in water and five F bombs. And you get a PG 13. Okay. Well, but not political. That's not political at all. <laughs> i'm claiming that you're not um <clears throat> so i don't even know where i was going with that original thought um okay so the, that, the, the porno yeah the porno and your teenager that's right okay we're back thank you yeah, funny how that just immediately i'm back so you were a young young man uh, yes. going into those those wonderful <laughs> teenage years and you at the time felt about this movie how um about uh specifically that adult film or oh, no, no, the whole movie i mean <laughs> oh, the whole movie. oh i i liked it uh quite a bit when i saw it i thought hey the technology is neat so and i was already a huge mm-hmm. fan of douglas Trump. I, I was already recognizing names oh, in wow. movies by that yep. like directors uh visual effects guys because mm-hmm. that was going to be my career i i decided at that age it's like i want to get into visual effects wow cool um didn't end up being that way permanent but yeah anyway um <laughs> So I, I actually quite liked it, and I've seen it many times since then. As I got older, I started to appreciate the the more human aspects of the story. And I think if, had they not had that whole center about uh, Christopher Walken and Natalie Wood reconciling their marriage, mm-hmm. I think it would have been an okay movie, but not a really, really good slash great movie. Mm-hmm. So that I thought uh, I was almost surprised looking back on it that uh, – you know, I don't know why I would think this, but that, you know, a visual effects guy, because usually when the visual effects guys make movies, mm-hmm. they're just effects vehicles and they have no soul to them. We're looking at you. Uh, was it Spawn? I'm thinking yeah. of that one. Yeah. yeah. Um, Speaking of excessive CGI. Yes. Um, so I was every time I rewatch it, I, I focus more on on the uh, emotional aspects of it. Mm-hmm. OK, so do you now? Now, let's just jump right into this. C and D or not C and D, and by that I mean, do you feel as if the movie itself holds up under its own merits for you, to where, if you still have positive feelings toward it, that that is not in fact driven by a raging case of cinematic nostalgia disorder, or will you at least acknowledge <laughs> that if you do have said uh, positive, warm, fuzzy feelings, that it may be just overly loaded nostalgia? I don't. Actually, I, like I said, I think my appreciation of this movie has grown more as I've gotten hmm. older. So I think um, if it, like I said, if it hadn't had that emotional core, okay. the it would have just been an effects movie. And yeah, that probably would have been C and D. I think actually it works very well. Now, there are some problems with the movies. We'll probably talk about some of the slapstick uh, towards the end of the movie. I'm uh, in the suds. <laughs> Yeah, the, the robotic arm that suddenly has AI. Apparently, apparently they work at a Lucille Ball factory. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> Just getting ready for them. Oh, let's walk on the grapes and slip and yeah, eat well, the cherries. They're ball, they're ball bearings. They could conceivably be at a factory. True. Uh, true. Yeah. True. So yeah, there there is that. But I, 
And I, I, I was actually surprised, like, so when I talked to a good friend of mine very recently from, he's from high school, and we talked, I talked to him on his birthday. Um, we, he lives in Illinois, I live in California, so I don't see him much anymore, we, but we send email back and forth, and we talk maybe, like, twice a year. I had something for his birthday, he called me up, and somehow we got talking about movies, and we were talking, he brought up Brainstorm. I was like, oh, so you like that movie? He's like, are you kidding? It's one of my favorite movies of all time. And this, this, this is like when you, like if somebody meets a girl in, in college and mm-hmm. they fall in love and they're going to get she married and then they find out, oh, they lived a block from each other when they were kids. <laughs> it's like, we've seen probably a thousand movies together, him and I, because yeah. that's, that's what we did when we were kids. I had the, the house with the big screen TV. So movie watching was a big thing to do. Oh, please tell me and you I, had the big screen that like my uncle had where you pulled down the front of it, the, the front projector one, you know, the red, green, green. And uh, uh, no, it was, it was a rear projector. Oh, so. okay. Okay. So you had the, yeah, my, my uncle. And then I ended up, somebody gave one away. And so into the early two thousands, I had one and then it just died. Yeah. This was the kind you had, like, it looked like a giant piece of wood furniture and then you open the doors. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And then, Oh my God, it's a screen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's not a walk-in closet. Yeah. It's a screen. It's a TV screen. So yes. Thank you, dad. Um, <laughs> so we'd seen all these movies. I don't think we've ever seen brainstorm. And so I'd ask him, I was like, why, why is this one of your favorite movies? And he just said, well, when he was younger, but I think before high school, his dad had gotten into a, a horrible motorcycle accident. He wasn't wearing any protection. Mm-hmm. And so he was taken to the hospital and he'd actually basically flatlined like multiple times before they took him to like a a trauma center. And his dad had said, whoever made this movie must have done a lot of research because that whole thing with like the memory bubbles, like when the person is dying, Uh that's pretty much what he saw. (laughs) Um, And so, and then he, uh, my friend also said he liked it, but he, he liked the story about how, you know, the husband and wife kind of come back together and realize, you know, they're not really mad at each other. They still do love each other. Mm-hmm. It's just that they, they're not, not communicating mm-hmm. and they have to see sort of, they have to see each other from each other's point of view to, to realize that, you know, they, they, they are still in love with each other. And I need, he, I, need to watch, I need to watch this movie again. Okay. <laughs> no, I do. And I'm not saying that in some snarky, like, Oh, I, I obviously miss them. No, I mean, because everything you're saying as I'm, you're talking, I'm playing out those elements of the movie and they're there. But for some reason, I just, I don't know if it was a character development thing for me or a confusion thing, or or to be fair, complete and open disclosure here. I have three young children. So for an hour and a half long movie, it's sometimes. And in the case of this one, at least to get through the first 30 minutes or so, because it was around bedtime that I started it. It may have taken me like an hour plus to get through the first 15 minutes, but yeah, but that being said, yeah, that being said, I felt almost more interested in the ideas in it. And I don't know why, because I agree. I, I I see the I see the emotional resonance of that relationship. And more I think about it, I really I you know I think this is gonna be one of those movies that I'm gonna think about from time to time, which tells me it's actually probably a much better movie than maybe I initially felt. Because I have a couple times since I watched it, have thought about elements of it. And I liked the ideas in it. I liked the idea of the technology. And in fact, one of the other things I liked is that unless I missed it, there was not a whole lot of moments when they're hacking into various computer systems where they do the thing. Cause I actually just showed my kids Tron and <laughs> where, where, where we type out the full sentence, you know, cause that's programming <laughs> as a kid. I totally thought that was programming. Yeah. They, well, you just type in, uh, 
open a master control program <laughs> typing all yeah. with spaces and <laughs> right exactly yeah that's that's one of the things i every time i watch this movie i'm amazed how good they nailed the tech they did they really did they really and did that the hacking scenes are realistic that they have a crappy computer display that's uh -huh. just a bunch of characters and people are going into hex dumps and to do uh -huh. stuff and it's like yeah that's what a menu system would look like in the 80s not yep. something it's right out of uh you know the matrix or something where it's like mm -hmm. it's clearly they had an artist go in who knows nothing about computers and draw some fancy little display mm -hmm. or jumping jack flack flash you know, oh that, yeah that that <laughs> yeah and also just the tech of like yeah how would you record that much data it's like well yeah you would use an optical medium uh -huh. with a laser like you know because this was maybe just like three years after laser disc had hit the market mm-hmm maybe four years after VHS. And so like, oh yeah, streaming tape format makes sense if you want to do a lot of data sure. quickly and a lot of bandwidth. The only part where I, I get a chuckle nowadays watching is, uh, oh yeah, we could pipe it over the phone. Yeah. Um, yes. <laughs> it's like my, my parents can't get YouTube to run smoothly on their crappy DSL, but, <laughs> but they're going to pipe, you know, somebody's entire brain dump over the phone. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, this is Jason Piles, also known as Jay of the Dead. I want to thank my friend Joel for allowing me to submit this clip on Forgotten Flicks Remembers. I want to weigh in on Douglas Trimble's Brainstorm from 1983. It's one of my favorite science fiction films of all time. My film critic hero, Roger Ebert, only gave this two stars out of four. And with all due respect, Roger Ebert was wrong about this one. Brainstorm is a sci-fi thriller starring Christopher Walken. It's about some scientists who invent a machine that can record person A's complete physical perceptions, and that recording can be replayed for person B, who can thereby live person A's exact same experience. So that's the premise. Now let me tell you my favorite theme that's covered in Brainstorm, but first, a little context. There was an American social psychologist named Leon Festinger, who is probably best known for his theory of cognitive dissonance. Now, I'm sure you'll remember that from your psych classes, but just in case you don't, cognitive dissonance is the mental or emotional discomfort that one experiences when one holds two or more contradictory beliefs, ideas, or values. Or there's another aspect, which is how it applies to the movie Brainstorm, cognitive dissonance is also the emotional or mental discomfort a person feels when he or she is confronted with new information that conflicts with existing beliefs, ideas, or values. So how does that apply to Brainstorm? Well, have you ever wondered if when you see the color blue or if you taste the flavor of chocolate, have you ever wondered if other people are actually experiencing it the same way you are? I mean, what if every time I see the color blue, what you actually see is the way that I perceive green, but since we perceive that same color the same way internally within ourselves each time we see it, we would never know that there's actually a difference. <laughs> Whoa, deep thoughts with Jay of the Dead. We just experienced a brainstorm right here on this podcast. But anyway, my favorite aspect of the film Brainstorm is the way that we get to see characters actually experience the world through another person's eyes and perceptions and sensations because this remarkable device allows one person to experience the precise sensations of another and they do this vicariously. 
Now, the film doesn't delve too deeply into the cognitive dissonance that the characters experience when they encounter the world through another person's perception, but it is still an underlying theme that you can pick up on if you watch for it. For example, a man wonders what it would be like to experience life as a woman. (laughs) Uh, They should have named the device the Empathy Machine, because once and for all, we could know for certain which pain is worse, childbirth or getting kicked in the cookies. Or we could perceive the world from the perspective of an animal, such as a chimpanzee. In 2013, there was a del Toro film called Pacific Rim that briefly explored this same theme a little bit when a scientist considered mind-melding with a kaiju. And by the way, just this past weekend, coincidentally, I saw a new horror movie in theaters that reminded me a lot of Brainstorm, It's called The Lazarus Effect, but it's not nearly as good as Brainstorm. And finally, I'm sure Joel will mention this, but Brainstorm is Natalie Wood's final film. Sadly, she died at the time this movie was in production. It was near the end of principal photography. Side note on that, Wood drowned while on a weekend boat trip, and the circumstances surrounding her death are very suspicious. But I just wanted to remark at the irony of life imitating art. I won't reveal any spoilers here, but for those who have seen the film Brainstorm, isn't it ironic that a film like Brainstorm would have actual final footage of a person's life caught on film for others to replay and revisit later? Creepy. Anyway, Brainstorm is a tremendous sci-fi flick. I rate it a 9 out of 10, and this is a buy. This movie is worth purchasing and having in your collection It's tremendous. I want to thank Joel for having me back on Forgotten Flicks Remembers. And I have a podcast about film called Movie Podcast Weekly, where we review at least one new movie that's currently in theaters. And it's released every single Tuesday. You can find it at moviepodcastweekly.com. And if you're a horror fan, you like horror movies, then you can hear the cognitive dissonance of my alter ego, Jay of the Dead over at Horror Movie Podcast, which is a bi-weekly show where we dive deep into the analysis of horror flicks because we're dead serious about horror movies. You can find that show at horrormoviepodcast.com. Thanks again, Jason Piles, signing off. Back to you, Joel. Okay, so at the end of the day for you, this movie still holds up. And in fact, maybe in some ways you appreciate it more. Yes. Okay. I... In coming at it from a different place and ultimately I almost feel like with these where I am going to watch movies that I'm seeing for the first time, I realize all that history that you bring to it is a different, it's a different take on it than I'm, you know, because obviously coming to it, I've seen so much stuff and it's obviously a 30 plus year old movie and I'm almost 40 years old and blah, blah, blah. I'm just going to have a different reaction to it. That being said, from that perspective, that more cynical, jaded, old fart perspective, (laughs) I didn't dislike it it was a movie that i i felt like i after watching i was like i get why gamma and some other folks would like it i don't know that it it's a movie that i particularly i definitely didn't love it but it was more just i didn't i felt like i didn't get a really strong sense of connection to the characters and it was just and it maybe just have been little things too and i don't know if it was just because of douglas trumbull's directing style because like i said the actors across the board were really good actors but little moments for instance when mikey or whatever their kid's name is and he and he has a psychotic break did you find natalie wood was his actually actual mother correct yes 
Did she seem not that concerned? <laughs> like she was very, you know, he'll be okay, right? <laughs> like, um, you do realize your son was pretty much drooling on himself and going into convulsions because daddy left his, you know, dirty movies running. <laughs> I guess it wasn't it was really yeah. more of a psychotic movie, but you know what I mean? Like I felt like it was like things like that is I just felt a little disconnection from the character reactions to things. Yeah, that is one of the things I, I did notice that um they're awfully quick to leave their son in the hospital. <laughs> Go on vacation. <laughs> and well, but then of course you realize yes, yes, you they're do. they're acting that they're acting. Yes. Um, he- but- what is all- you go to hell. No, you go to hell. No, you go to hell. <laughs> Which, you know, I, I kind of flash back to uh Julianne Moore in Boogie Nights uh-huh. when she's when she's doing when she's doing the movie within the movie uh-huh. kind of thing. Uh-huh. Where it's like, wow, that is really great acting that you're acting that you're a horrible actress, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's <sighs> I, I think the other thing that I appreciate about the movie, but at the same time, it created a level because I went, I intentionally before I went into other than just a couple basic things, I didn't want to know all the details, details of the story. I wanted to go in pretty cold. They, like you said, they jump right into it and you do spend a decent amount of the first five to 10 minutes going, what the, what's going on? I'm, I, I, I get, I get the gist of what's going on, but I'm still, I, the dynamics of the characters and and on one hand I could almost speak the argument that's really good writing because it wasn't on the nose overly you know there was no uh, this movie is I don't know if it's devoid of exposition but there's not a lot of explaining stuff and that's a right. good thing what were we gonna say well yeah it's, I did we really want to see an origin story you know no <laughs> you no know, absolutely not do I need to see you know how many times Spider-Man gets his powers? I really don't. No. Uh, so I'm, I'm that I think that goes to Douglas Trumbull. Like, like let's just pare it down to its absolute minimum. That's even a line in the movie. Uh, <laughs> True. That Natalie Wood uh, gives when they're making the device. But yeah, I I can get why you might be if you didn't know what it was about going in, that it would be confusing for the first five minutes. What the heck is going on? Yeah. Yeah. And and I don't. I, it's really like it's when I really a situation where I don't have anything that's substantial. You know, I, I really can't go on a tirade as if this was, you know, a gnome named Gnorm. You know, it's, not, it's nothing. <laughs> I can't. I got nothing in that department or, or was a caveman. It's not it's not of, of that ilk. No offense if you like that movie. But but <laughs> oh, you're going to bring up caveman to Doug, I think. Yeah. So, <laughs> oh, does he, did, did he like it? I think he did. Did he really? See, that shocks he, me. He I, covered it on crazy, creepy, cool movies. I don't, I, I don't, I've listened to most of his crazy, creepy, cool movies. And for some reason, I, I remember him talking about it at some point, which kills me because I know he's commented on, he typically doesn't like more of the sort of lowbrow, vulgar type stuff as far as humor goes, the potty humor, as yeah. they say. And it's like, that's all that freaking movie is. It's just well, it one be, big it could be C&D joke. for him, though. Yeah, so yeah like, I think he gave me at C&D for Doug. Yeah. <laughs> Doug, I hope you're hearing this. It's C&D, buddy. So, <laughs> but. Yeah, uh, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, so so any any uh, any final thoughts about the brainstorm? Um, like I said, I do, I do appreciate how much time they spend on thinking about the technology. Um, the progression of the brainstorm device from this <laughs> giant yeah. washing machine-sized thing that you, you know, put your head in you know what it was it was doc brown's device he's wearing when marty shows up at his door in 1955 yeah. to like how rapidly it kind of like pairs down to just like 
something that would look like uh, you know Sony would make mm-hmm. <laughs> because I have I have an Oculus Rift on my desk and it's you know it's like I've seen just how quickly that has gone from you know some awkward thing that you can barely hold your head up uh, to use to now it's like oh Facebook just bought you for six billion dollars uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're the only human being I've ever and I'm using quote fingers here met that has one or at least has access a, to one as an Oculus uh, mm-hmm. and yeah. anybody can buy them there i think the new one's already the new one's already out it's like yeah it, it, watching that playing with that you can you can see how quickly that the tech is progressing hmm. where there's i've had people in the office i put it on and they're just like get me out of this get me out of this right now where because there will be demonstrations where it's like oh you're in a room and every time you look away from the wall it gets closer <laughs> and if somebody has claustrophobia whoa do they rip that thing off as fast <laughs> as they can? There's a lot of applications for that that could be very disturbing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The There's the new alien horror game that they've made work with that thing. Are you serious? And, yeah. Oh, my yes. God. And uh, or there's a game called Elite Dangerous, which is basically, uh, oh, some some fan actually made a let's uh, blow up the Death Star uh, from Return of the Jedi. They have that entire space battle done in the Oculus. If you want to see, uh, you know, any, any, a, a Somebody geek out. Mm-hmm. Just put that put that on and they're like, <laughs> as they're looking around. They're, a lot of times they'll die for like the first five minutes straight just because they're geeking out, looking out. Oh, there's a Star Destroyer over there. Oh, look, look, oh, the TIE Fighter. Oh, he's killing me. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that, that will turn you geek. If you are not yes. a geek, that will actually turn you. <laughs> yeah. So like I said, I, I appreciate the tech of this. Oh, and something my friend pointed out to me, I've never noticed in the dozens of times I've watched this movie, the the flashback, uh, that well, flashback, recorded memories mm-hmm. of their wedding day. Mm-hmm. Christopher Walken's best man is Barry. The guy who his wife is, <laughs> is uh, dating at the beginning of the movie. Really? That he's, uh, that he's going, Barry. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Never noticed that. He no. that. I was like, Oh my God, that was a, that was a nice little touch. Yeah, <laughs> that is, that is. So, so anyway, real quick, just, just to, just to clear that point up. So, it was so he was ultimately able to record your memory as well as actual real time what you sensed. Well, yeah, that's, I, that's the impression I got that it was sort of like if you were thinking about somebody, you could get these impressions of them because it was yeah. like he was playing like the same short piece of tape over and over again, and he was like seeing different stuff. Sure, it was sort of like he was data mining that recording that his wife had made and saw that yeah she that she'd actually with within all that you know resentment being angry at him there were still points where she was like. You know, she did care about him. Yeah. Yeah. And and she has and the favorite line in the movie that she has is like, I was afraid you didn't like me anymore. Yeah. You're making me sad, Gamma. <laughs> yeah. Chuck it up to the James Horner score. Yeah. You know, which which, by the way, this the score for this has shown up in so many trailers. Like ever since it was out, it, a lot of studios would use it in their trailers because one, it wasn't a very well, you know, it didn't do well at the box office because yeah. it came out. What? Came out in '83. It was it was originally supposed to come out in '82. That would have been an, an even bigger bloodbath because it's like <laughs> yeah, considering all the other movies are really that's the there. greatest year ever for movies. Yep. Thank you. Discuss. Thank you. <laughs> we'll have to do like a roundtable discussion on the greatest year ever for movies, and we uh, I'll, I'll I'll take I'll set my set my flag down for 1982. Oh no, yeah, I've, I've I, we for a while there, Jason, uh, Kevin Batchelder, and I were going to do this this thing he batchelder had 84 which there's quite a few decent ones grooms yep. for some reason was hell bent on 85 and i was like well if you were talking about like 
sex teen comedies, yes, 85 rocks. Uh, but <laughs> I, I was I, I was the 82 guy. So you and I could be on like one team and then <laughs> because just in sci-fi and horror, 82 just kicks everything's ass. Sorry. That's that's what I, I anchor my uh, nerd trivia team for uh, sci-fi and horror and video <laughs> games and stuff. Oh, yeah. That is totally the year right there, buddy. Yep. Well, Gamma, I thank you for doing this. This was fantastic. Uh, and you, I believe, will be the second episode in this rebooted version of after uh, after Daryl, Daryl and the <laughs> Heavenly Kid. Please say you called him Daryl. Daryl. <laughs> Actually, I don't know that I did, but I, I will. I will say that we did go probably far, far too deep uh, into the <laughs> drama of the Heavenly Kid. Uh, <laughs> I will say we may have overdone that one just a smidgen but yeah, that's okay. that, i call that movie an orby woe only remembered because it was on hbo yeah well and that movie we both admit is 100 cd we don't give a crap right. <laughs> we, we did it that's all that movie is we don't care we still liked it yeah but uh no i i appreciate you doing this and i hope to have you on again to to maybe discuss a couple of uh other movies you might be in one of these little round table episodes but maybe we'll have another one of these one-on-ones uh for one for one of the other ones you added to the list All right, yeah, this was great. I'd I'd be happy to do this again. Thanks for listening. And for even more retro movie goodness, be sure to subscribe on iTunes and feel free to leave a review. It helps more people find out about the show. And don't forget our awesome Facebook group. And if you want to leave feedback for the show, you can just email an MP3 recording to ForgottenFlicks at gmail.com. I'd love to hear your feedback and have you contribute to future episodes of Forgotten Flicks. So swing on by ForgottenFlix.com where we've got great retro reviews, articles, games, tons of past podcast episodes and interviews, and more. And I feel like I'm forgetting something. Hey, what, hey give God, me that microphone, you. Oh, yeah. I have to just tell you one more thing. Special thanks to JV of your secret identity. Check out Killer Rock Music at YourSecretIdentity.com. Oh, yeah. I know I'm screaming all this, but JV sent it all in cap, so I guess I have to scream it then, brother. Yeah.